Hey, welcome everybody uh, back to Soul Focus Radio, uh, Soul Focus Podcast. I'm here with uh, Brother M. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. Everybody that's listening from around the world, thank you for supporting the Soul Focus Group and the Soul Focus Movement. And uh, we want to hear from you to see how we can support you in your growth and your development to create a, a soul happy, to create soul happiness in your life and around you. Beautiful, beautiful. And for our listeners who've been following the the most recent podcast, uh, we've been diving really deep into to Mahdi's history uh, and how what led Mahdi to help create the Soul Focus Group and Soul Focus Psychology. And what we started to talk about uh, in our last podcast was uh, the development of the uh, of the art of life recycling and how that was foundational to what many of you are experiencing as soul-focused psychology. And one of the things, uh, Madi, I want to really get into is how everything in your life led you to be a life coach. Um, you know, of course, I first met you as a colleague with the People's Institute, but really, really got to know you and experience who you are uh, in this world uh, as my life coach. And so I'd like to just pass it on to you and really ask that, that straightforward question. What led you to life coaching um, given everything you had experienced in your life? Well, all my life, uh, I would say ever since I was five years old, especially when I got to the age of eight, I would constantly have adults come to me, ask me questions that I thought was way outside of my age grade for me to answer. But they would ask me with confidence, you know, Hmm. with a certain degree of knowing that I had the answer. And I, for some reason, I seemed to give very, very wise answers. And I used to wonder, I used to think like, why these adults keep coming asking me these questions, right? And uh, so that would that would grow in me to get me to start questioning, like what I was here for. Oh, oh, oh no, my questions like what? What would they ask you? You know, questions like, you know, what to do with certain things. And like, you know, like one time my grandmother asked me about if I, if I thought God was going to forgive her for something that she had did out of survival. Oh, wow. And, wow. you know, for her to reveal which, what, what, what she had did to me. I mean, not to me, what she had did. She she revealed it to me. At the young age that I was, I was like, I was shocked. And I was like, so why, why, why are you telling me this, Grandma? And uh, she would say, because I know you understand. Hmm. And I was hmm. a child, you know? So, but yeah. adults would come to me like that all the time. And I, I would begin to feel like, oh, well, what's one of the things I never had a childhood? Because of, hmm. because of the abandonment issues and my mom and dad having to take on the responsibility of in my mind of taking care of my two younger brothers uh so i grew up real fast so i was a child on on the inside and i remained a child really for for 30 something years mm-hmm. but there was a part of me that was always an adult right you know the spiritual right. part of me was always an adult but there was it was creating an imbalance too because i was having to forego the child to be the adult to assist other people. So I always grew up feeling like I was a counselor. And then when I got my football scholarship uh, in high school to play college ball and, you know, did real well in playing college ball uh, and being connected to always being a part of sports. When I started my company in 1990, it's called Self-Mac, Self-Motivation, Awareness, Confidence and Control. The whole component of the, of the company in 1990 was to use what I saw coaches doing on the, on the football field, but apply that to people trying to get their life together. Hmm. 
And at that time, there was no, there was no such thing as life coaching. Right. That didn't come along until a whole lot later. So I consider myself one of the pioneers in the in the field during that time because I had I hadn't heard it anywhere else, and right. uh, and I thought this would this would be good, but it, it needed to still needed to be refined. But the idea was pure, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started in 1990. That's when I officially launched my company, and uh, have been doing it ever since. And uh, but what what drove me to to want to be is because I felt like I had answers. Mm-hmm. to questions. I felt like the things I saw happening over and over again that I, I felt like I could do something about it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, your life coaching, as you know, and many of the listeners know, has had a pro- profound impact on my life. Um, of course, in the lives of, of lives of many other people as well. I imagine there was a lot of learning for you as you would go through life coaching. What, what were some of the things that you began to learn about yourself as you were coaching other people because one of the things that's always stayed with me uh, is hearing you say that you aren't necessarily the coach but you're really a guide to help my life me to take the coaching for my own life and my own experiences right so i just want to pull out what, what were some of the lessons for you well for you know for like you like you were saying just now you know my basic premise of life coaching was that i'm not the coach uh, your life is the coach and my job is to get you to listen to your life and to get you to listen to the subtle parts of your life that you've become numb to and therefore ignore and has created an imbalance in your life. Uh, so, you know, that was the like the, the impetus behind my move in the life coaching uh, profession. Uh, but what the, the things I learned about myself was that I learned that because of the imbalance that I had as a result of the abandonment as a child, that I had confidence issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, those confidence issues that I had, had was subconscious. They, I, were not, I was not conscious that I, that I lacked confidence in a certain area of my life. And right. what I just did is avoided that area of my life. And that was my relationships, right? So I would avoid my relationships and I, I'd become a more uh, et, you know, technical introvert, technical in terms of I could give you the process to how you do things, but I wasn't getting my hands dirty. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So for the first the first part of my career, I didn't get my hands dirty. It was all theory. Right. Right. So the idea of me starting to practice is when I really started to grow. And when I really started to practice, I had the language and and but I was the language couldn't get refined until I started practicing the language that I knew. Right. right. And all I'm saying is that in terms of in the beginning, I, I, I didn't necessarily live what I was what I was teaching because it was it was evolving in me and it was it was always like new to me. Right. You know what I'm saying. And right. so what I had to do is figure out how to implement this. And oftentimes what I would do at that time, I would try to I would see how I would implement it in somebody else's life. And I would skip over mine because uh-huh. I had this thing where because of this confidence issue, I had this thing where. Uh, I wanted to go into other people's lives, but I didn't want other people to come into my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So my my teachings, uh, you know, did not take really take off until I became confident enough to open myself up and be vulnerable to everybody. Mm. Was there was there a pivotal moment that that allowed for the opening up, or was was it a, a evolving process? It was an evolving process, and there were pivotal moments along the way. Uh, you know, 
but it was an evolving process of because you remember this stuff is subconscious, especially when you experience trauma. Yeah. And, and think right. about trauma as you know, you 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 go to a certain point and you turn back. You go to a certain point and you try you turn back. So wherever you see yourself in your life going to a certain point and turning back, whether it be in finance, whether it be in relationships, whether it be in career, where you find you, you find yourself becoming terrified, and when you find yourself becoming terrified, you turn around. And you have right. a repeated place where you turn. That's where your trauma is. In some right. cases, it's trauma. In some cases, it's abuse where you've experienced outright abuse. In uh-huh. my case, I ex- I had experienced emotional abuse. Right. So it was it was a little past trauma. And so what I did with that with that trauma and that abuse would do is cause me to suppress my emotions. Mm-hmm. See, because confidence, a lack of confidence is not the is not saying that you on some level don't believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. The lack of confidence is saying that in some in some part of your life you have learned to turn down your energy in order to mm-hmm. exist to to avoid being hurt. Yeah. And so where you lack confidence is where you where you become used to your energy being at a five when it needs to be at a 10, which is what confidence ten. is. Right. Mm-hmm. So I learned to exist at five, which is not having confidence. And so when certain things would come up in that area of my life, it would really challenge me. And so what I needed to figure out, which was what my a lot of my coaching was about, is how do I give how do I turn it back on again? How right. do I how do I face my fears? You know, face my fear of falling, falling away from those I love, falling away from what I wanted, falling away from the things that I really wanted, wanted to have, falling, fear of falling. Like we had those dreams at night, we'd be falling yeah. in our dream. That's related. <laughs> yeah. that's a, it's all related to abandonment, to yeah. the ab- abandonment yeah. issues that we've had or the abuse issues we had where we feel like because that happened, we were we were we fell away from those we love. We fell away from those we care about, you know. Right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and one of the things that just strikes me as I'm listening to you right now is there was an, uh, and maybe it was the inertia of everything you had experienced prior to this, but I know a lot of people get stuck at that when that door of opportunity opens to, to face all this stuff. But there was something in you that pushed you past that. And I was just wondering for our listeners, I know a lot of our listeners have experienced variations of what you've experienced growing up and you know, you know, maybe didn't have a, you know, a spiritual teaching the same way you did, but, you know, this conversation is resonating with them and they might find themselves at that door of opportunity to begin to open all this up and take that next step. What, what would you say to them um, to help them maybe put the foot in the doorway, if you will? Well, I would say to them that the very thing that, you know, like, for example, courage, we've been taught that courage is the idea of like, you know, standing up to something maybe that you're afraid of, you know, stand up to a bully, standing up against something, against something. And, you know, cause that has how courage has been promoted, you know, projected to us. It is a physical thing. And it, it happens usually when somebody's bullying somebody or some situation is like a bullying situation, but that's right. not the everyday courage. We really have to demonstrate the everyday courage. We have to demonstrate is the, the courage to be vulnerable enough to show up as your whole self, even though you may not think that you hold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, to really to really be to really get to the point to where you're unafraid to reveal yourself, you know, because the, the strongest thing that you can do is be vulnerable. Right. The strongest right. thing you could do is give your accurate location. When you do that, you put yourself in your place of strength. Strength mm-hmm. is not is not the ability to withstand some resistance, but strength is finding that place where there's no resistance at all. Right. Right. 
you know, right. and I'm, I, right. And I, I guess, you know, I'm in many ways, I'm asking, we're doing a coaching session right now. Cause as I hear you say that Madi, I know one of the things prior to our coaching experience and that I've had to really grow into is sometimes it's felt like the cost of being vulnerable outweighed the cost of giving your accurate location, being authentic, being vulnerable, being really open. And, and, Consequently, we stay stuck in, in, in places that keep us from being who we really are. And so can you help help talk a little bit about the, dispel that myth of the cost of vulnerability over the cost of authenticity? Well, there is a cost of vulnerability. There's a cost for not being vulnerable. See, because where see this is why vulnerability is so important. Vulnerability is like you getting back to the volume that your that your sound should be on. Because what happens is, like, for example, your energy level, the, the sound of your voice internally and externally is, is let's say, is, at a, is naturally at a 10. But because right. of the trauma, because of the abuse, then that becomes suppressed and pushed down to a five or a three. Right. right. Now, right. I want you to look at vulnerability as the thing, as the knob that's turning back the volume on. And to the degree in which you can be vulnerable, like if you could be vulnerable at a 10, then your voice or your energy gonna come back up to a ten, mm-hmm. but you may not be. You, you know, the average person is not, not vulnerable at all because the ego is is the thing that's causing them to suppress it. They are more worried about what people think about them, how they are gonna look, you know, because right. because they they, right. they maybe they told some lies, they've exaggerated about some stuff in their life, and so being vulnerable means having to face the lies that you've told people, and having mm-hmm. to stand up to it. So that's the reason why a lot of people are afraid to be vulnerable. It's not right. because they don't feel and sense inside that they're going to give them relief, but they are, they are, the ego has made them afraid to face up to the exaggerations, the, the bullshit, and the lying that mm-hmm. they've done to other people, they've done, and, and to make themselves look good. So for me, you know, there was some of that where, you know, things that I had taught, I had to come back and apologize to people as I, as I grew and learned. But I was more committed to the, the result than I was uh, how I looked. Right. You know, right. remember I, I talked about it in the, uh, the, the first few podcasts, how every time I went to a different religious expression, what I saw was that people were looking for a truth that that proved what they already believe. Mm-hmm. They weren't looking for truth to, to truth. produce the results that we need in the community. So we don't have mm-hmm. the results, but we got plenty of dogma and the dogma <laughs> right. is stacked up high and thick. But the results are not present. So our community mm-hmm. can continue to die because we are dying from effectiveness, from ineffectiveness, excuse me. We're dying from ineffectiveness because we have not been seeking truth to help improve our ability to create the results that we want for ourselves and our family. Mm-hmm. So being vulnerable is like you foregoing, you know, how you look for the result that's going to benefit you and those like you. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you know, Mali, again, maybe this will be our last question for this session, but, you know, uh, I don't know if everybody knows that you're a father of three beautiful young yes. women. Yes. And uh, uh, as we know, parenting has a potential to open up vulnerability uh, for us. Uh, wow. I just want you to just want you to maybe speak to a little bit about what, given what you experienced growing up and the, 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 the levels of emotional trauma and abandonment, you know, and then becoming a father, um, especially a father of, of, of girls, um, what began to open up for you, both as a father and as a in relationship to to uh, to the uh, to the mothers of your children as well? Mm. Well, you know, 
that's a good question, man. Uh, having having daughters, when I had my first daughter, my oldest daughter, it began the process of, you know, you beginning to see what you never saw before as a man because you live in the patriarchal society and the 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 things that have been established in this patriarchal world are blind spot to you as a man. You don't even know what's going on until you are getting ready to have a daughter and you start thinking about what it would mean for you to have a daughter, what it would mean for you, maybe a payback for all the things you've done as a player coming back at you, because that's a, the, a fear of every father who has a, a daughter, you know, chickens coming home to roost, as every people right. joke about that, but what it really is doing is causing you to reconsider how you see women. Now, that's, mm-hmm. as crazy as that sounds, because we all come from a mother, we all have a mother, but the socialization in this world allows us to have a mother and yet still be disrespectful to women that you don't see as your mother. Because what has happened is that the patriarchy has interfered with our ability to see ourselves in every woman, to see our mother in every mother, you know, to see ourselves in every woman. That's the biggest, the biggest blind spot, right? So having daughters, you know, having loving daughters that I love and care about deeply and them being so wise and, 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 and open to life uh, taught me to be more open and loving and expressive. So they helped. The, they started helping me to turn my energy back up, my energy and expression level back up. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I'm right now. I'm still working on turning it up even higher because, you know, a long time ago, uh, because of the trauma and whatnot, and because of the patterns that have been created, I turned the volume down and forgot how to turn it back up. Yeah. So I'm still working to get it back up to to ten and beyond. Anyway, yeah, the idea of having daughters softened me hmm. and it made me become more sensitive and more aware of the issues related to women. And I'm still working on a lot of things because it's still a whole lot of socialization that I received growing up that is still in my subconscious mind. But consciously, I'm, I'm working. I work every day to become an advocate for them because I want the world to be a place for them uh, that sees them as human beings. Not as right. their uh, their genital, not as their right. as their you know their sex organ. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I right. Do. I think I, I think everybody else does here. Right. And so so you know one of the things I love about you, Madi, is the father that you are, and I learned so much from you as a father um, in terms of fathering uh, your girls. And uh, I just want to say I appreciate you, man, so much for who you appreciate are. Appreciate you. And appreciate you, bro. No doubt. No doubt. And you know. One of the things as we transition from this conversation, you know, you as a life coach, I remember the first time I met you, saw you physically, was uh, at the Coogee Center in New Orleans. Right. And this was for one of the national gatherings of the People's Institute. I can't remember what year this was, 2002, three, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that really, you know, that really opens up another chapter in our conversation that we're having together around your introduction to the People's Institute, wow. the anti-racist analysis of the People's Institute. And for our listeners, we're going to jump into that. because I know a lot of listeners have been involved in anti-racist uh, organizing work, systems change, uh, systemic change work. And we're going to dive deep into that conversation on the, on the next podcast. So stay tuned. Come Beautiful. back because there's much more. Uh, as always, we love you. We love you. Peace. Peace.